Abba, isn't he great? Let's tell him how great he is. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You are worthy, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. As great as God is to you and your life, he was great before we even came on the scene. He's been great his whole existence. 2,000 years ago, he did a great thing for us. For that, he deserves praise. And not just what he's done today, but 2,000 years ago, he deserves praise for that, doesn't he? Bringing us out of our situations, healing us, delivering us. Amen. I'm thankful that he's called us. I'm thankful that I'm smart enough to answer the call. That's it's a big enough uh, deal there to answer the call. He calls everybody, but not everyone's smart enough to answer. Wayne, thankfully you are today for coming today. It's so good to see everyone here to worship the Lord. What a what a great day. What a great God. What a great service so far. Amen. It's just great serving the Lord, isn't it? Who says that there? this is a life of bondage and shackles? No, I feel liberty here. I feel freedom in my life to do what I want, to please the Lord in all that I do. Amen. The best life is a blessed life, one that is touched by God. And that's what I want to live. They can keep their big houses, big cars, big payments. I'll just keep my big God. Amen. Amen. We can go, turn to the book of Acts as we're standing today. Amen. Acts chapter 20. Start our reading in verse 17. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said, this is Paul speaking, he said unto them, you know, from the first day I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews. Now I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions are waiting for me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. What a profound passage here pierces right to our soul. I want to preach to you today from this title, Compelled to Continue. Compelled to Continue. Turn to a few people around you, shake their hands as they're se you're seated today.
So I think that I can account for all the husbands here. Doesn't look like really many are missing. Even with the young marrieds, all appears to be well on the surface. No black eyes, no missing teeth. From what we can see, again, from what we can see, looks like you survived Valentine's Day, Valentine's weekend, more than a day this year. Uh, And like I said, it appears that you did survive, but that doesn't actually mean you did, from what we can tell. This time of the year, there is a compelling, a strong compelling to buy flowers, cards, gifts for your Valentine. And to compel means to urge somebody to do something, to apply a little bit of pressure or a lot of pressure. Uh, There's a driving force to sway to go in this direction or go in that direction, to do this or not to do that. That is a compelling. And so while compelling is a strong and powerful force, it doesn't mean that you still don't have a choice. Compelling someone doesn't mean that they are forced to do it and they cannot say no. They can say no. They still have an option, but it's pretty close to uh, giving them no choice. But you can say no, but maybe you probably shouldn't. That doesn't mean you still don't have a choice. Just like a few days ago, you felt compelled to buy flowers. You didn't have to. You didn't have to buy flowers. You weren't made to do it. You had a choice. But you were compelled to continue living. And so you bought the overpriced flowers. And in preparing this message for the first time, I can't believe it, for the first time I actually looked up Valentine's Day. And where in the world did this thing come from? Believe it or not, it's a Catholic tradition. Great. There was a saint named Valentine. Oh, puke. He was martyred because he was a loving guy and he performed marriages for people that weren't allowed to be married. So he was just a loving Valentine. And so he was killed and he was martyred. And so some pope declared a feast day on February 14th in honor of his death, in honor of this great Saint Valentine. Yeah, I know, it's ridiculous, and we're still doing how it's morphed into this today. And so it's ridiculous. That's the reason that I'm paying a 400% increase on flowers. That's the guy. Mr. Valentine is a real man. And so after learning that... I felt compelled to abolish Valentine's. But then, then I felt compelled to continue living. At least another year. So here we are with uh, smiles on our faces and a lot less money in our wallets. And we're compelled to continue on. And I don't want to tarnish the word compel and make it sound like a bad thing because it's, it's really a neutral word. Uh, 
Uh, but it can be used for both good and bad, depending on the person doing the compelling. I'm reminded of uh, another instance where a man was compelled in 2 Kings 4. It says, fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where a great woman was, and she constrained him to eat bread. And it was so that as oft as he passed by, he felt compelled to turn in and keep on eating bread. This doesn't sound like a bad deal. We don't know how it played out and how this woman constrained Elisha to come and eat bread. Maybe she was making cinnamon rolls and had her kitchen window opened. And Elisha happened to walk by at the right time and he was constrained to eat bread. Elisha had a choice. He he could keep on walking Or he could surrender to his senses and say, Self, now is not the time to be stubborn. Don't resist the compelling. Go ahead and give in. This is a good thing. And so Elisha compelled. He complied. It may have gone like that. uh, But it may have happened differently. Maybe this great woman stood out in the middle of the street with a frying pan. And compelled Elisha to come in and eat bread. He had a choice. But he felt compelled to continue to her house. And make a right turn into her house. Whatever the reason was. However it happened. He felt compelled. He was constrained to go in that way. Um, and it's, it's, it's a natural thing. I'm not trying to make this a spiritual thing. Because it's not. It was a natural carnal thing. Because she didn't even re- realize that Elisha was a man of God. The next verse, after he's already coming in, she says, She said to her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God who passes by us continually. And so it wasn't a spiritual thing, um, but somehow it worked out. Uh, And so before she realized that he was a holy man, she had already constrained him to come and eat bread. And so it wasn't until he kept stopping in and eating bread that she realized this. And once Elisha stopped to eat bread at her place, meaning every time that he came through, he was compelled again to come and to eat bread in her place. And so I think Elisha was smart enough to realize I'm not going to go eat bread at one of her neighbor's house across the street, which leads me to believe the Shunammite woman constrained him with a frying pan. But we'll never know. But Elisha had a choice, but he was compelled to continue going to this woman's house. And I, I don't know, sometimes it's hard to put into words this compelling that you feel, this, this sense, uh, this pressure that you feel. You may not always be able to put it into words. I, don't, I, I know I don't have to, but something inside of me, uh, something is drawing me to go. There is a, a pressure that is pushing me in that direction to make this choice, or uh, I can't escape this feeling. I, I can't fight it. I, I can't silence it, and there is something there. That compels me to continue. And one of the more moving examples of this 
is the Apostle Paul. And our text transports us into his third missionary journey. And he is in Ephesus. And he calls for the leaders of the church, Ephesian church, in Acts 20, 18. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came in Asia, and after the manner I've said, I've been with you all seasons, serving the Lord with humility of mind. Many tears and temptations was fell, but befell me by the land and weight of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable for you, but have showed you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying both to Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. He's opening up here. He's saying, I'm, I've been completely transparent with you always. I'm, I've always been honest with you and how I felt and even I withheld nothing that would benefit from you and I gave you everything that was in my heart and I, I'm not holding anything back. In verse 22, he drops it. He says, and now behold... I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Brethren, I I feel compelled to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me there, but I, I I just can't shake this feeling. The drawing that I feel keeps on saying, go to Jerusalem. Go to Jerusalem. I I know I have a choice. I I know that I don't have to go. I know that I can go down another road. I can take another ship back. I can sail off to another island. I don't have to go to Jerusalem. But I feel compelled to continue to Jerusalem. And I don't know what is there except... Verse 23, save the Holy Ghost, witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. I don't know what is there, but I know that in every city that I've been in, the Holy Ghost has hinted to me what is there. It's not a birthday party. It's not a welcoming committee. It's not a vacation getaway that awaits. It's not the publisher's clearinghouse waiting at the dock when I get there. No, it's bonds and afflictions are waiting for me in Jerusalem. Pain is waiting for me. Imprisonment awaits. Suffering is standing by the dock and waiting for me to come. That's all that I know. And if that is the case, then most likely death will be darkening the door in Jerusalem. And I feel compelled to go there. I feel compelled to go to continue on to Jerusalem. Now, I think that I could probably safely speak for most of us today that if we felt a compelling to go to Jerusalem and we got word that bonds and afflictions will be waiting for us to arrive, we'd be canceling our airline tickets. 
Oh, there's a $500 cancellation fee. Keep the change. The days we took off for work to go there, we'd show up early to work, and the boss says, I, I thought you had the week off. Nope, you must have been confused. I'm here all week. I ain't going anywhere. In fact, I'll work overtime. Anyone else need off? I'll be here all day. Uh, I, I feel compelled to go to Jerusalem. Well, I rebuke that devil in the name of Jesus Christ. Ain't no way I'm giving in to that compelling and uh, frying pan or not. I'm compelled to go another way. Now that I know what awaits me in Jerusalem, I, I bind that spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. But not Paul. Paul, even after knowing this, confirmed in every single city, Time after time, time after time, place after place, the Holy Ghost, all it's telling him is bonds and afflictions are waiting for you. And even after this, he tells the brethren, verse 24, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. How do you use that word joy when you know bonds and afflictions are waiting for you? Teach us, Paul. The ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And, and now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. You're not going to see me again. So the last time you will see with me, you will be with me. Because of what I feel compelled to do. I have an idea what awaits me, but I feel compelled to continue. I have to finish my course with joy. So don't try to ruin it for me, guys. And say I'm going to get beat and probably killed. I'm trying to finish my course with joy. I understand the consequences, but I'm still trying to maintain happy, a happy spirit, a joyful spirit. I know what awaits me, but don't take away my joy to know that I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. They all, and the Bible says they all wept grievously. Hugged and kissed them. Paul said his goodbyes. It's the last time you're going to see me, brethren. And Paul, but Paul was given another warning, another opportunity for him to change his mind. The last stop before this train arrives in Jerusalem, your, your last opportunity to get off, Paul, is in Caesarea. We're taking there in the next chapter, Acts 21. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he came unto us, he took Paul's girdle and he bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle. I wonder whose girdle that is. And they shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go to Jerusalem. Don't go, Paul. 
And then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break my heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't break my heart and tell me don't go. Don't steal my joy from the ministry that God has called me when I feel this compelling to continue on, to to go to Jerusalem. Even though I have an idea what is waiting there, don't steal my joy. Don't break my heart to tell me do not go to Jerusalem because I feel a compelling to go. I have a feeling that I cannot shake. And Paul said, I I hear your words. I I appreciate your care for me. But I, I know that you want the best for me. But I have a feeling that I cannot shake. And there's a, a stirring in my soul that just won't go away. There's a compelling to continue to Jerusalem. And, and that compelling, that drawing, that pressure on my soul is so much greater than the words that you are saying. It has a heavier weight than your tears that you are weeping for me. And so please, please don't break my heart by telling me not to go. Don't tell me to brush off that compelling feeling. Don't tell me to ignore it and eventually you'll get so calloused if you keep on ignoring it. You'll get so calloused to the calling that you'll end up like us carnal people. Paul said, thank you for reminding me that I do have a choice in this. I still can choose to ignore and not go. But I feel compelled to continue. And even if that means I will be bound, that doesn't change what I'm feeling. Even with the knowledge of the possibility of me dying, that is not going to change the compelling feeling that I feel to go to Jerusalem. And so Scripture tells us that Paul did, after Caesarea, Paul did go to Jerusalem, ignored all the the warnings of his friends. Scripture tells us, history tells us that he was bound and affliction was waiting for him. There was a trap that was set for him and they did catch the great Apostle Paul. Finally got him again. And as far as we know, Paul was a prisoner for the rest of his life. He wasn't a free man anymore to roam where he wanted, all because he went to Jerusalem. And everyone told him, don't go, don't go, don't go. You know what's what's waiting for you. There's a trap waiting for you. Don't go, Paul. Don't go, Paul. And so that raises the question, what on this earth would compel a man To knowingly walk into a trap. What kind of pressure would make a man ignore the weeping of his friends. And to willingly walk into the camp of the enemy and says here I am. Do with me as you wish. What would compel a man to do such things? 
There is only one thing that has that kind of power over a man or a woman. And that is the love of Christ. The love of Christ would compel Paul to go to Jerusalem. Paul, Paul never, never got over Calvary. Calvary wrecked his life. He never got over it. He never got over the cross. He never got used to it. He never got comfortable with the cross. It wrecked his life. Calvary rocked his world and that the God of heaven who made everything with his voice, that he would come, he would come and he would die for me, that he would take my place upon that cross and to be tortured for me and to be beaten for me and to be whipped for me. It should have been my back that was ripped to shreds. It should have been my blood that puddled on the ground. It should have been me that died that agonizing death of a sinner. But Christ's love for you compelled Jesus Christ to continue to Jerusalem. It compelled him to walk right into that trap that he knew what was waiting for him. Jesus knew all of it, and yet he was compelled to continue Even on the road to Calvary, Jesus lost what strength he had left in his body. And he he fell to the ground. And he looked over at a man with bloodshot eyes. He said, if you can carry this cross for me, I'll make it up that hill. Because I feel compelled to go. I feel a drawing to go to Calvary. I feel a pressure to keep on going. And what was that drawing? What was that pressure? What was that compelling that would make a man voluntarily walk down into the shadow of death? Love. God's love. Christ's love for you. And and the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. You know what that joy was? That joy was you. That joy was you. That joy was me. That joy was the thought of you being here today and being with him in heaven tomorrow. That's what Jesus saw. And his love for you compelled him to continue down that path and say, I will die for you if you will come and live for me. So the love that God has toward us should compel us. It should move us. It should draw us to do what He wants us to do. Because if the love of Christ does not do it, what else will? What else will? What else will make you live for God if the death of Him on the cross will not move you to live a righteous life? What else do we have? A fancy sermon does not have the power that Calvary has. 
A church program doesn't have the power that the love of Christ has. And so that should be all that we need to motivate us, to compel us to live a, and continue living a, a righteous life and pursuing holiness and following after him. The love of Christ should be it. And if that is not good enough for us, I'm afraid there's nothing else that we can do. There's nothing else God can do. What else can God do? Did it take our place and die for us? And maybe, maybe us preachers, maybe, maybe we need to preach more about the cross. Maybe we need to have that always in front of us and, and, and built into our sermon, our, 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 a new wrapping paper every sermon, every week. And, man, that's a great sermon, great sermon. Yeah, those are great, but they're not going to move us like the love of Christ can move us. They're not going to move us to an altar unless God himself, his love, is poured into our life and our heart. And, and the, the love of Christ is what's really going to make the permanent change in our life. We can get emotional, get riled up with a great sermon, a great message, but that's going to fade away. That's going to go away after a few days or a few weeks. But the love of Christ should always compel us to continue living for Him each and every single day. Every day that I wake up, thank you, Lord, for dying for me. You died for me. I'm going to try to live for you today. I'm going to do my best to live for you because you died for me. What happens is we get cold, we get calloused. It's because we forget about the love of Christ. We forget about Calvary. We're so focused on everything else and building bigger barns and houses and cars and all this stuff that we forget about the love of Christ that even got us here. And therefore, we start using other things to compel us that never last. Only the love of Christ will compel us to live our life for Him. Because when, time, when times get hard, all this stuff will fade away. Those fancy sermons will be forgotten. Those great messages that inspired you to do something, those will be forgotten. When the, when the devil shows up or when hard times show up, you're not, it's not going to get you through it. The only thing that will get you through your life, your situation, is the love of Christ and remembering what God did for us, that he died for us, that he, he went to Calvary. And so if we forget about the love of Christ and we forget about our power to live a righteous life, musicians, if you would come, Paul never got over Calvary. He never got over it, and neither should we. Maybe that's our problem of lukewarmness is we've, we've just got over Calvary. Thank you, Jesus. Let me go live my life. But Paul, not Paul. 1 Corinthians, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I don't need to know who did what or who said what. 
I don't need a fancy sermon or well-crafted message. No. Only thing I care about, the only thing that I need to get me through my day is to know about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's enough for me. That's enough for me to keep on living. That's all that I need to be reminded about, how He died for me and my sins. That should move my heart enough to say, God, I'm going to live for you. It's enough for Paul. He never got over it. And I hope it's enough for us. Because if it's not enough for us, then there's nothing else. 2 Corinthians 5.14 For the love of Christ constraineth us, compels us. It just... It arrests us. It, it grabs a hold of us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then that means everyone was dead. We were all dead. If one died for us all, one was dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. If we are living for ourselves, we have forgotten about Calvary. If we are concerned about our wants and our kingdoms, then the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified has been buried by stuff in this life. That's what compelled Paul to continue, if, if the love of Christ compelled him to die for all, then those that are alive should be compelled by that same love to live for him. And that's what compelled Paul to continue, even knowing that bonds and afflictions waited for him. says, I can't turn back. I can't turn back. I, I just have to go forward. Because if Jesus looked ahead and he saw Calvary and he still walked down that road, who am I to know about some bonds or afflictions down the road and who am I to say, no, I'm not going down that road? That's, if Jesus did that, then I can do that too. That's what compels me to continue. Even if bonds and afflictions await, there they were waiting for Jesus. And Jesus said, I have to continue going. Even if death is waiting to snatch me up. Death stared down that dusty road. Into our Savior's eyes. And even still, Jesus felt compelled to continue. If He did that for me, then I should do that for Him. If He died for me, then the least that I can do is to live for Him. To forsake all this foolishness and sin and, and say, no, Jesus died for me. His love is moving me that I should live for him. And 
put aside all these weights and sins and all this stuff that distracts us and say, no, the crowd, the, the, the love of God drove him to Calvary. Calvary, I can't get over Calvary and what God has done for me, and so I will live for him. No matter what road it has me going down, I feel a compelling to continue living for him. You stand with me today. Revelation 2 tells us a letter that was written to the church at Ephesus. It says, These things saith he that holdeth seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, thy patience, how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them when they say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Hast borne and hast patience for my name's sake, hast labored, and hath not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, whence, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. Do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Ephesus, you're doing a lot of great things. You're working, working hard, you're faithful, working on your patience. You, you love truth. There's no doubt you love truth. So much that you can't bear them that are evil and you're trying all the proclaimed apostles and you're finding them to be liars. You have labored in my name and you haven't fainted, you haven't quit. And for that I commend you. Doing a great job. It seems that you're doing it. You're just going through the motions. You do it because you feel like you have to. Not because you want to, but you have to. And when you feel like you have to do something, what happens is you get weary, get frustrated, get burnt out. I got to do it. Pastor says, I got to do this. Bishop says, I got to do that. I'll do it because I have to, but I don't want to do it. The problem is, Ephesus, you have left your first love. You've left the reason for it all. You've forgotten about the love. Forgotten about the love of Christ that should compel you to do anything. When the love of Christ is buried, you'll feel compelled to continue out of duty and not compelled by love. But being compelled by duty will not sustain you. Will not sustain you. It will not drive you to the depths of your soul. You'll do what you have to do and then that's enough. But being compelled by love says, where do you want me to go? 
How far do you want me to go, Lord? I, I know bonds and afflictions await for me, but that doesn't matter. Don't steal my joy. Don't break my heart and tell me I don't go down there. You know what God has done for me? Don't break my heart and say, don't go. And you'll look down the, the road and see bonds and afflictions, and you'll say, oh, I'm not going. But he who is compelled by the love of Christ will say, if he went down that road for me, if he went through that for me, then I'll go. I'll go and do that for him. Because you're driven, you're compelled by a love that nothing can separate you from it. Death or life, angels or principalities, powers, things present, things to come, life or death. Any other creature can separate us from the love of God. So we have access to this, this power that will compel you to get through the hardest times. The most difficult situations, it will, it, you'll still find your joy because you know you're doing it for Christ. You know he did that for you and so I got to do that for him. But if we do it out of duty, we'll quit way before the finish line because we'll get tired. I've been down that road before. But if you go down the road with being compelled by his love, nothing will stop you. You'll endure it all. You'll endure temptations. You'll endure the, the wrath, the persecution. You'll endure it all because you know you're doing it for Him and you're doing it for the joy that was set before Him. And there's, there's a joy down that road somehow, but you're only going to see it if you're compelled by love. Many years ago, there was a revival that broke out in India tribal people were upset that they were being, people were being converted to Christianity so they brought out the family that was responsible for this the chief of that tribe said either you renounce your faith in Jesus Christ or you face execution doing out of duty, you'll be saying, okay, I'm out here. But this father's response, he says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Then they shot dead his two children right in front of him. They fell to the ground, lifeless and they said, your wife is next unless you renounce your faith. He felt compelled to say, though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. And then his wife joined his children on the ground. So this is your last chance to turn around, Paul. He responds, the cross is before me, the world is behind me, no turning back, no turning back, and he joined his family in the grave. 
What would compel a man to do such a thing? What would compel a woman to do such a thing? There's only one thing that has that kind of power. And that is the love of Christ. That if Jesus died for me, surely I can live for him. And if he calls for me to die for him, I'm already dead anyways. I've never really lived because he died before me. And so if you have to go down that road, the only way that you will make it to the finish line and still have joy is if you are compelled by the love of Christ. And so if he went to the cross for me, surely I can pick up a cross and follow him in this blessed life that we have. Surely I can do that. I'm going to open up these altars to anyone who wants to come. Anybody that co- feels compelled by the love of Christ to, to lay down here and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord. Forgive me for forgetting about you or for doing this foolish stuff or the sins that I've committed, God. Help me, Jesus, to keep my eyes focused on you, to live a righteous and holy life. Come on, there's a compelling. We can't explain it. You have a choice, but I feel a drawing to the cross. I feel a drawing to the foot of Calvary. Say, oh, God, help me. Come on, let's worship him. Let's cry out to him today. Thank you, Jesus. I don't deserve it, but I feel compelled now to live for you. He's been too good for us. Forgive me, Jesus, for being unfaithful. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory. Oh, steal my joy. And I realize just oh, break how my heart. beautiful you are, Lord. I'm going to go. And how great your affections I'm gonna are live for, for him. me. And Worship him. How he Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Help me not to forget. Be distracted, God. He loves us. You love me so much. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, 
repent of our sins. If you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, He wants you to do that. That's why He died, so you can be baptized. Tell someone, I need to be baptized today. I need His Spirit in my life. Oh, let's cry out to Him.
convicting message by our pastor today. And if you have felt compelled in any way, shape, or form, we invite you to be baptized in Jesus' name today. If you have not yet been baptized in Jesus' name, or if you were baptized and if you are not sure if it was in Jesus' name, the water is ready. We have robes that you can wear. You can leave this place in the same dry clothes you are wearing today. And so I ask you to think about it for a moment. We're going to continue singing for a few more minutes as we worship together. And if you want to take that next step and say, you know what? I need to be baptized today in Jesus' name. God died for me. I'm going to take that next step and live for Jesus. I invite you to come up to the front. Our pastor is right down in the front as well as a couple other ministers. Let them know. I want to be baptized today in the name of Jesus. Let's keep singing for a few minutes. Hallelujah. We worship you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, God. And we are his portion. And he is our prize. Drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. If grace is an ocean. The waters are always stirred, and God is always here in the name of Jesus. We want to thank all of our guests for being with us.